Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. We're in Matthew chapter 9. Get your Bible and you want to check it out, you can. Um, last week we talked about uh, Jesus' miracles, and <clears throat> there's, there's, it was one miracle story, but it had two miracles kind of woven together. Our culture is screaming that women have been um, oppressed, treated unfairly, uh, not not as equals to men, and, and part of that is part of that is very true. I'm not I'm not de- denying that that's that that's happened, and I'm and I'm okay not that they've been treated poorly. I'm okay that our culture is saying, hey, this isn't fair. I'm okay with that. I I think there needs to be equality across the board. What I'm not okay with is when it's backed all the way up to, well, ever since Jesus' day, or Christianity has oppressed, there's some truth to the fact that there are branches of religion or branches of Christianity or denominations or independent churches that have mistreated women for centuries. It's true. What I'm not okay with is when it becomes personal that Jesus was this kind of person, that he built this whole religion off of the idea that we could put our thumb on women or minorities or, uh, or, or the marginalized altogether. I'm not okay with that because last week what we saw was this. Jesus healed two people, actually healed one, and he raised one from the dead. Both of them were women. The Jewish law, the Levitical law, was very clear about cleanliness. This woman had an anemic menstruation problem. You with me? Ceremonially unclean for 12 solid years. She touches Jesus and Jesus heals her. The other little girl is dead. The law was clear about messing around with dead bodies. Jesus touched her and raised her from the dead. If I could sum up last week's sermon, if you want to check it out on the podcast on iTunes, if if you're a true believer and you use an iPhone, you can find it on the iTunes podcast. If you're a a pagan Philistine, you might have to just go through the church Facebook page right. to get to it. Um, but if you want to know more about that, the whole idea was this. Jesus came in, and they were asking, why are you changing everything about Judaism? He says, I'm not changing anything about Judaism. Not a thing about it. I'm changing the world. Everything about it. The way you see death, the way you see women, the way you see cleanliness, the way you see leaders, I'm changing everything. So listen, when the culture is raving that Christianity or its roots or Jesus personally was this kind of, this kind of person, please combat that with every single bit of, of your person, okay? Because that is not who he was. He doesn't approve of that. It's not awesome to him. Um, it doesn't work. Um, so I just want to make sure I got that out there. This week, miracle number two in Matthew's little triplet of miracles or miracle story number two. These two men are friends. They are bound together by a certain thing 
that makes them friends. Now, it's not similar, it's not similar um, uh, likenesses, okay? It's not like, oh, he likes to go hunting and so do I. Or he likes to ride motorcycles and so do I. It's not like that. Theirs is built off of something different. Their friendship is something that is by every definition of the word, necessity. They stand on the side of the road together every single day. They know each other. They understand the voice of one another. They talk about family. They talk about uh, maybe marriage at some point, maybe in the future. They talk about hope that maybe some things in their life would change. But what ties them together is this, their blindness. Two blind men park themselves on the side of the road. Here's the deal about any sort of any sort of ailment that comes up on our body or on our heart or on our mind, anytime there is a deficiency to where we cannot seem to get past a certain thing, God is providing an amped up, an amped up sense or an amped up um, ability in another department, which means we have to transfer our power over to this thing. Okay, so I'm not good at this. I better figure out how to think through it. I'm terrible at math. I'm terrible at math. Here's what was crazy. I went through school. They put me in pre-algebra. I looked at it, and I was like, letters and numbers do not go together. Wrong, 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 wrong. And so they were like, uh, we suggest you, like, maybe move on to something that's not algebra. We've got this applied math class. This is a new idea. Um, it's the equivalent of all this, except it's in word problems. It was like, word problems? Yeah. Like, there's a story involved? Like, yeah. And it was like, freaking sign me up, you know? It's, I don't have to, like, decode and, like, be, like, beautiful mind and, like, I don't have to do that? No. You could just, like, read the problem. It was so good for me. It was so good. I'm pretty sure it was second grade level. But it was so good for me because I could see the story on this side. I could not compute the numbers. But if there was a story, a plot, there were characters, there was a climax, there was resolution... I'm the freaking guy for this. Like, I'm built for this. Sometimes we have to change our approach. This doesn't work for me. I've got to find another way to get to that. In the blindness of these men, they had to amp up their hearing. Not just their hearing, but their listening. They're listening and they're understanding. They had to be able to pick up on things in a different way. It's so cool. It's so cool. These men are standing on the side of the road. Jesus has just raised the dead healed this woman and he's passing through and they come walking by he, Jesus and the disciples and these guys come walking by and these men yell out to Jesus have mercy on us son of David I can't keep it I can't keep it in so I have to show this little like that is the most loaded loaded phrase it's one of the most loaded phrases we're going to come back to it in a minute but I want to tell you like it's so like it's so cool so cool but listen to what the first part of it says. Son of David, first part, have mercy on us, son of David, us. You want to talk about friendship? You want to talk about the Christian walk? What one gets, the other gets. Have mercy on us, not me. Don't leave him out. We're in the same boat together. Have mercy on us. I will tell you right now, If you walk the Christian, if you walk the Christian life alone, 
you don't find somebody to confide in or to challenge you or to push you or if you keep yourself isolated in your, your giant crybaby that nobody's coming to rescue you. See me? If you're waiting on somebody to come and rescue you from your self-pity, it's not happening. That responsibility is on you and you alone. You know what else I love about it? Is their, their friendship is not tied to their strengths, their successes, their, their goals. It's tied to their weakness. Do you want to see true friendship? True friendship. You want to see true healing in your life, true healing in your marriage, true healing in your kids. Get real freaking honest about who you are. Get real freaking honest with your spouse and then get honest with somebody else who is outside that circle. Watch your life unfold. There's some of you who already know that. It's true, isn't it? Soon as you got honest, what happened? Yeah. Things started getting better. But the minute we try to hide that stuff from our kids, the minute we try to hide that stuff from our friends, the minute we try to hide that stuff from our spouse, what happens? You get tangled up and you, you start a cycle of just garbage. These two guys are standing beside each other. Have mercy on us. We're a package deal. Let me tell you something that's so funny. Uh, Luke and I have worked in two different churches together. And we have applied at another one previously, years ago, as a package deal. They weren't expecting it, so it was really cool. We showed up. They were going to interview Luke. And Luke was like, uh, he's kind of with me. Just tell him I'll call him back. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a thing, but uh, I won't be long. So, so <laughs> or, or don't. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So when we show up in this, to this church in Canadian, Texas, they're like, oh, Luke, nice to meet you. And the, who are you? He's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with him. Luke's like, yeah, he's with me. By the, time, by the time we left, it was such a cool experience because it was like, you know, maybe we should make room. Like together, then make one good minister. Like this would be... <laughs> This looks like it would work, you know? It looks like they need each other desperately, you know? And so that was such a, that was such a, cool, such a cool deal. The Christian walk is, is the same way. Here's what else I love about this phrase. Their faith is not based on what they saw. Have mercy on us, son of David. It's not have mercy on us, we think you can do this. Um, do you think Jesus could heal me or not? Their faith has got nothing to do with what they have seen. Here's the thing that we say when we get jammed up in our Christian walk. If God would just show me a sign, really? Really, that's what you're waiting on, a sign? So he could show you one and you could be like, if he would show me a different one. Another one. A bigger one. He can't, what else do you want? What, is, what, what, what else in the world do you need? What else do you need? Another sign? Two blind guys right here are suggesting to us, lesson one for us, Faith has got crap to do with your eyesight. It's got everything to do with your hearing. That's actually reiterated throughout Scripture. Check out this verse. Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. But if I saw it with my... If I could look into... Have you ever heard this? I hear it. I've heard it several times. If I could look into hell for just like one second, I'd probably be a better Christian. Or if I could see into heaven for like one second then maybe like I would do a better job at following the Lord. Uh, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. 
You'd be like, that was cool. Was I dreaming? Did I take LSD? What's my problem? This would be the thing. Like you would find a way to dismiss it. Why? Because your eyes are not that reliable. They're not that reliable. The thing that happens in our heart comes through our ears. Faith comes by hearing. Here's the next part. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is based on the fact that you can't see. Do you know what you need so that you can be a better Christian? Blindness. Isn't it, it isn't interesting that if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. There seems to be this call from Scripture from way back, this whole idea that in the spiritual world you cannot trust those two beautiful seas of blue that are on your face. You can't trust them. They're beautiful to look at. They're terrible to look with. You can't see what everybody else sees. You can't see what God sees with those eyes. For God does not look at the appearance of man, but rather he looks at the heart. There's this disconnect. The faith is based on what we hear. So let me ask you this. What are you hearing? Are you surrounding yourself with people who can step into your life and give you encouragement? Or do you call that one friend that you know will always listen as you just complain and gripe and hear yourself go on and on and on? Is it the news? Just This is free. I'm going to just toss it up. You can turn that off, right? Like you could turn off the news. Can I tell you something that happens? This is way off subject, not even in the notes. If you continue to listen to news and this is the stuff that you read on Facebook, do you, do you ever feel this, like this, your heart begin to like race and your, and, your, and your blood pressure begin to raise? Do you ever feel that? You know how to stop it? Stop it. Stop, stop it. Like there's nothing, like you can turn that noise off. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Lesson number one that we pull away is this. Faith relies on our ears, not on our sight. Lesson number two is this. In, uh, let me get the date right. Uh, 19, I can't remember the date. 1930, uh, I want to say 33. The very first radio show of... The Lone Ranger came on. They loved it. The world loved it. They went 10 episodes, and you know what they realized real quick? <clears throat> it's really hard to do a radio show with a guy called The Lone Ranger who's by himself all the time. It's a radio show. What is he saying? He's the Lone Ranger. So he shows up. You hear some guns. There's a little bit of dialogue. There was so much work involved in trying to keep this a radio show it lasted 10 episodes and you know what they had to do find another character Tonto and the show lasted 21 years you want to walk by yourself I'll give it 10 episodes you want to walk the Christian walk by yourself I'll give you 10 episodes at best and that's just because I don't think you're a lone ranger okay like, you're not like this six-gun wielding, like, cool cat with the mask on. Like, this is, you won't go far. It requires somebody else beside you. There's got to be somebody. And this was the quote on why they put him in there. The uh, Tonto was originally created, this is the quote, 
just so the Lone Ranger would have someone with whom to talk. If you are, I'm talking to dudes mostly, but some of you chicks are the same way. I'm talking mostly to dudes. Some of you think that the minute you open your mouth and you talk about your feelings, now you're either gay or a girl. It's okay to laugh. That's what you think. Like, I don't want to be soft. I don't want to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm imagining all my seventh grade friends from way back, like you can't say this stuff. Some of you, that's what you think. Like you have this thing about it. You got 10 episodes in you. That's what I promise. Before you screw up your marriage, before you screw up your kids, before you screw up your job, before you screw up your life, before you screw up your relationship with Christ. You got about 10. Nobody walks alone. Nobody walks alone. Next part. Jesus sees them coming. They yell, have mercy on us. Mercy is something that you request when you are the lesser of the two parties. You've never been the CEO of a company and walked out onto the company floor and said, I would love to have all of your mercy right now. You've never said that. Because mercy doesn't, you don't request mercy when you're at the top. You only request mercy when you realize and admit your own brokenness. That's the only time when you can look up and say, I'm pretty sure I need mercy. Pretty sure I need mercy. Their request is also a statement. I need healing, but I don't deserve it. I need healing, but I don't deserve it. You see, mercy, when God acts and he gives mercy into our life, mercy is based on who he is, not on who you are. We don't receive mercy. Just tell, put me on the no-call list. Mercy is something that happens in our life and is done for us. When we are weak, when we realize that I am broken, I don't have anything to give. I am not deserving of God's kindness, His love, His forgiveness. I'm not deserving of it. And so that is based on who He is. That's the beauty of their statement. Have mercy on us, son of David. Um, 1920, uh, let me make sure I get the date right. August 23rd, 19, uh, 1923. Uh, 21 days after Warren Harding died and uh, Calvin Coolidge was sworn in as the president. Calvin Coolidge is staying at the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C. He's asleep in his room. When he opens his eyes, there is a burglar in his room rummaging through his pockets pulls out the watch that he has in his wallet and Calvin Coolidge says to this cat burglar guy, he says, I really wish you wouldn't take that. Now, of course, the guy pees himself, I'm sure. That wasn't, that wasn't in the story. But I, if I were ever robbing someone, this would, like, and they spoke to you, I wish you wouldn't take that watch. The inscription on the watch said to the Speaker of the House, Calvin Coolidge from the Massachusetts General Court. He said, that means a lot to me. The guy turns and looks at him and says, you're President Coolidge? And he says, yeah, and if this is a matter of money, I think we could probably talk this out. The man gives, Calvin Coolidge gives the man $32 to pay for his hotel bill and the train fare back to college. But he calls it a loan. He says, we're making this a loan because he did not want the guy to wear the tag of a thief the rest of his life. 
He also looks at the man and he says, if I were you, I'd go back the way you came so to avoid the secret service. Mercy is something that we do not deserve. Yet when we are found wanting, God steps in and in his abundance offers what we need. That's what mercy is for us. There is no leveraging God. Lesson number three, if you're writing these down. There is no leveraging God. His desire isn't that you are self-reliant, but that you are solely reliant on Him. Their confession, their admission, their prayer was have mercy on us. Uh, here's what impacted me as I was going through this. I need to pray that more often. You know what I mean? Like, I need to pray, Lord, I need mercy. Because sometimes I get pretty braggadocious in my own mind. Like, I'm kind of a big deal sitting in my office by myself typing. Like, that's genius. Oh, that's so good. And then, like... I'll read it later to my wife, and I'm like, that sucks so bad. Like, you are not. Like, I need that mercy just to rein in these parts of me that just want to go rogue. It's a prayer that I would encourage you to pray. Lord, have mercy on me. It's both a statement of my absolute ability and proclivity to failure and my, and my humble heart that says, I need, I need your help. Next phrase. Son of David. Have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, this is the part that I'm so amped up about, all right? This was like the code word. Code word. Like, you only, you don't secret handshakes and that kind of deal. Like, this was like, if you said this phrase, up until this moment, nobody was saying this phrase to Jesus. They didn't call out to him, son of David, son of David. That's not what they called out to him. But Matthew puts it here. Why here? Well, here's what's interesting. Matthew's gospel opens up the same way. This is the genealogy of Jesus, son of David. It goes back about a thousand years from this point in time. Not this point, Jesus' point. A thousand years prior. King David just becomes the king of Israel. The, check this out. Now, you have to like listen close with like your spiritual ears. The kingdom had just changed and became something new under David's reign. Okay, you with it? There's a picture, there's a metaphor there. It, this is a likeness of what's going to happen in the future. The kingdom just, just happens. King David takes the throne. He's in the palace. It's beautiful. And David has a thought. Do you ever like have like a really, like this is a genius idea and then like moments later you're like, that's dumb, that's dumb. You should take that back. Like, take that back. David says to himself, Lord, look at this palace of cedar that I live in. I mean, look at this place. This is beautiful. And I'm sure he was thinking about, he was thinking back to like the days when he was tending his father's sheep. And he was just a kid throwing rocks at bears and lions, whacking sheep with a stick, you know? Thinking back on, on the good old days. And then he gets called in to go make a delivery for his father. Then while he's there, like they learn that like, apparently this guy's a really good harp player. And then this guy comes out on, the, out on the battlefield and he wants to fight. Nobody wants to fight him. And David's like, oh heck, I've killed lots of big things with this sling and rocks. So let me have a chance. He whacks him, kills him. He becomes this mighty warrior. Everything David touches turns to gold. In his humble heart, he's praising God and he's saying, 
what am I that you would do this for me? Or who is my family that you would do this for us? Lord, you know what you need? You need a big house like mine. It's one of those things like when in your mind it makes sense and then you say it and you're like, that's dumb. You know what you need, Lord? Like you've done all this for me. Let me do something for you. you know? Build you this big, beautiful house. God replies, no. Of all the rulers that existed before you, which one have I ever looked at and said, where's my house? David's like, none. When have you ever heard me say, you know what, I'm really tired of living in the tabernacle. I mean, you get a house with shingles and stuff and I live in a tent. Thank you very much. I give you manna in the desert and you give me canvas. Real cool. Have I ever said that? David says, no. He says, anywhere my people go is where I go. This is where I am with them. I don't need you to build me a house. But I'll tell you what I will do. I will establish your throne and I will establish your kingdom and I will establish a king who will sit on that throne forever from your bloodline. Now, here's the tricky thing. When you read this, the first thing that should come to your mind is the king that's going to follow. Somebody who would be the son of David, which becomes Solomon. Solomon would become this king. But here's the thing about, here's the thing about uh, biblical prophecy. Biblical, biblical prophecy is not tied to times and dates. It speaks of the now and it speaks of the later at the same time. And so when this points to Solomon, it also points to somebody else who will fit that criteria. And that's Jesus. God is not confined by time and space. Thus, he does not see things like we do. But as history, as history and, and time unfolds, we see, oh, this works here and it works here. And that makes sense. And it's layers. And that's the beautiful thing about God's word. That it's living, it's enduring, it's double-edged. That's the beautiful thing about God's word. And so here's what we see. There will be a son of David who will sit on the throne. The Jews picked this up and put it away and was like, the son of David, that means something later on. That's going to mean something. We know that that's important, that that's powerful. When the son of David comes, uh, the book of Isaiah says that he will heal the blind. That he will raise up those who were, who, who were lame. That he will shine light in places there has been no light. And the son of David will do these things. And then we get to the New Testament. And two blind guys on the side of the road scream out, Son of David. Now, Jesus must deal with them differently because of their revelation. How did they get this information? I don't know. These super, this super hearing. Maybe they're, maybe they're listening as people are talking. They sit outside the temple or the synagogue. And they pick up on all these things. And Son of David was the phrase that they knew like, He's got to be him. They've heard these stories about Jesus, yet they've never seen one miracle in their life. But they've heard these things about Jesus and their faith builds. Jesus is a gangster sometimes. He completely ignores them. All the wonderful statements that they're saying, have mercy on us, all that. Son of David, they use the key word, they use the, like, the code words. Gets nothing from Jesus. Jesus retreats indoors. Faith must always accompany perseverance. 
If you've prayed for something in your life and it felt like as if Jesus had ignored you, you probably better not stop praying. You probably better not stop following. You probably better chase him down. Because that seems to be an important thing to Jesus because he will blow you off. With me? Some of you are like, I got that far. Like he will. Like he will completely just ignore you. Jesus help. Jesus help. Jesus help. Nothing. Pray. Keep following. Keep chasing. But I'm in the dark, Jared. Yeah, that sucks. You're gonna have to listen for him and just go there. But I can't see him. I understand. Find a friend. Find a friend. Find somebody who knows where he is. Because you got to get to him. These two men follow Jesus into wherever he went. They come before him and they say, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus asked them a question. Do you believe I can do this? Well, I mean, I ain't been screaming in the streets for nothing. When he uses the word able, it's the word where we get our word dynamite. Do you believe dynamite? Do you believe I have the power? Do you? See, there's this dangerous thing that goes on in religion, and maybe you've heard this, that if you have enough faith, then God will do a thing, and if God doesn't do a thing, it's because your faith is weak. Have you heard this? Raise your hand. And if God doesn't do it, then it means it's something to do with you, that you're broke, not God, and that you need a specific key, a certain faith key that only fits a certain kind of lock, and you have to be able to do it and say it, and you have to be confident in it, and you can't doubt, and if you doubt it, whoops, now you lost, now you don't get a turn, you lose your turn, and God won't do it. Can I tell you that that is one of the most dangerous teachings that, that, that crushes Christians in the world? That's one of the most dangerous things in the world. Do you know what that does? Is it makes us quit. It makes us quit. Here's the deal. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, yet these TV preachers and other people tell us your faith must be bigger or God won't act. I'm uncomfortable with that. I choose Jesus over anybody else who says different. I choose faith like a mustard seed. Because sometimes, you know what? That's all I freaking got. That's it. I've scrounged in my pocket like the, widow, like the widow's might. Here's what I've come up with, Lord. This is it. I'm holding on by a thread here. Jesus answers that prayer. Do you believe I'm able to do this? Absolutely, you're able. Do I think you'll do it in my timing? Knowing you, probably not. But you will. You will do it. You will do something. You will do something. You will change it or you will change me or you'll change all of it. I don't know what you'll do, but I believe you can do it. I believe you have the dynamos to do it. Believe that. It's got nothing to do with me believing that he's going to do it for me within the hour. It's got everything to do with it. He has my life. I already gave it to him. If he requires that kind of system like my mom when I'm in the sixth grade and I'm riding my bike around town and I got to check in every 30 minutes, I'm not interested. Okay, Jesus, I'm here. I still love you and I believe in you. Jesus, I'm still here. Is there a sandwich? Jesus, I'm still here and I believe. Not for that. 
I've got the faith of a mustard seed and I'm offering it to him and this is what I got. He loves us. Matthew 20 tells a story. Let me read you this story, short story. And I want you to compare it to this Matthew 9 story. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a, lo a, lo a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Two stories, almost identical. Two blind men, have mercy on us, Son of David. Why would Matthew tell that story again? Not the same story, another situation. Two other blind guys near Jericho. They also request mercy and they also call him son of David. Why is that important? Well, let's take a look at one more. Jesus entered the temple. This is in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. Remember this? He overturned the tables, the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. You are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and they were healed. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things that he, uh, that he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, check this out, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They come to Jesus and they say, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus says, yes. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants you have established praise. First of all, you don't ask a teacher of the law, oh, have you ever read this in the Bible? Okay? Like if you come up to me and you're like, have you ever read John 3, 16? <gasps> yes, I have. Of course I have. If you can watch football and you can watch, see John 3, 16. Jesus looks at these teachers of the law. Oh, have you never read this? What's that passage he just quoted? little footnote in your Bible, I'll tell you. Psalm 8-2. Where you have established praise. You have established strength. You have established stronghold is another word. Here's the phrase. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies the foe and the avenger do you know what Jesus just did they come to him and say they called you the son of David you better get that crap in check now you know good and well nobody's supposed to be using that term and they're calling you that and if you keep being okay with it that's not going to be okay with us so get it in check Jesus said have you never heard this the children and infants will build my kingdom. They will establish the stronghold. And do you know who they're going to establish it against? The enemy. And that makes you who? The enemy. And these chief priests, teachers of the law, Pharisees on the other side are looking at this situation and going, that puts us on the wrong side. If you're looking for lesson number four, those who seem closest to Jesus run the risk of not recognizing him. We who are Christians run the risk of not recognizing him, of not seeing him. We can become so familiar with who he is 
that suddenly we forget about what he does and everything that he possesses and holds in his hand. We can forget that. Us closest to him can miss that because we're so hung up with that. Remember the old school shirt, Jesus is my homeboy? Like it was cool for a minute and then like it became like, yeah, I think I'm going to refer to Jesus as my homeboy. Dear homeboy. Awesome. Awesome. Dear it takes you back to that. <laughs> Dear tiny baby Jesus, remember? <laughs> Sorry. I like to think about Jesus. Anyway, let's move on. Lesson number, uh, lesson number five. Faith must be accompanied by perseverance. I don't know if you've got that one in there yet. That's number five. Faith must be accompanied by perseverance. We have to hold on. We have to stay in the game. Jesus looks at these men and he says this. Don't tell he puts his hands on their eyes. He says, do you believe I can do this? They say yes. And he says, then let it be done to you according to your faith. Now, listen, back here, just take a half step back. That is not based on how much faith you have, I will heal your eyes. That's not a ratio. You with me? Eh, you're 10%, so you're probably going to be like a 20-60. You with me? You kind of believe, so you'll probably need bifocals when we get done. That's not what that means. It's written that way and it sounds that way. That's not what it means. What it means is this. Your faith has convinced me that this is what you want and this is what you need, that you believe in me. Here it is. It's got nothing to do with like the ratio of, uh, do you have enough faith? If you could just boost it up a little bit more, then maybe you get real good eyesight or x-ray vision. That's not that, okay? It's not that. Jesus looks at him and he says, don't tell anyone about this. For real? I'm telling you right now. This would be a thing I would screw that up so fast. Jesus fixes something on me that's been broke for a long time and he tells me don't tell anyone. I'm probably telling someone. I w I'll try my best to not tell someone but I'm probably going to tell someone. And I, w I wish I wasn't telling. I shouldn't tell you this but like 10 minutes ago I didn't know there was color. I didn't know you were short. I like your voice better than your face. You know? There could be so many things. Like, I could not shut up about it. Every commentator I read on this, they, they said the same thing. Out of just sheer excitement, they told, but they weren't supposed to. It was absolute disobedience. But how could they not? They just kept going back and forth. Everybody understands that. Here's the deal, though. Jesus is doing a thing, and their revelation of him being the son of David, he's trying to kind of keep everything in check for a minute. This is my read on it. If this gets too big that he's the son of David, this might cut the ministry short and Jesus has got some more stuff he needs to get done. There's more people who need to hear. There's more people who need to receive from the Lord. And if this thing is rushed, then it's going to mess things up. Here's another deal that I wonder. Since Jesus was all man, is it possible that Jesus is, is putting some things in place that say, it would be too easy for me to get a big head? I could be tempted I could be tempted to, to gloat in this power. Please don't tell anybody about this. And maybe this is him kind of putting uh, uh, some boundaries in place for himself. I don't know why. But he tells them, don't tell. And they walk out the door and they're like, guess what just happened in there? Like, I can't tell you. You know? You can think that's kind of what was going on. As they are going through the door, they bring in a man who cannot speak. Miracle story number three. 
He's demon-possessed and he cannot speak. He comes before Jesus. I'm only talking to some of you, okay? I'm only talking to some of you right now. I'm talking to you who have not prayed. You can't muster one up. Your faith is not a mustard seed. You just wish it was. Like, life has been devastating. It has been uh, just an absolute crush to everything that you are. Things are broke in a way that you wouldn't even know how to reach out if you needed to reach out. And you need to pray, but you can't even muster up the words to pray. Guilt-ridden, broken, and busted. This man is brought before Jesus. He does not ask for one thing. He can't speak. He doesn't mumble. He doesn't sign. We know nothing. Somebody else brings him. Application to us? Look, if that's you, better find a friend. With me? Find a friend. Find somebody who will pray with you and pray for you. You're not supposed to be by yourself anyway. Find a friend. Find somebody who can pray for you, who can go to the Lord on your behalf. Find somebody who can do that. They bring him in there, and Jesus looks at him, casts the demon out of this man, and he begins to speak. Thus, Jesus gives a voice to the voiceless. What are we to pull from all this? There's a change that happens. There's a shift in the Jesus story that happens right here. The reason Matthew puts this small little story is to show you a shift in mindset, which this has everything to do with us. How do people respond to Jesus? They're either crazy about him or they're crazy against him. And that's always the way it is. And that's always the way it'll be. Jesus' own words, I did not come to bring peace. Did you not read the business card? Jesus, Messiah, my motto, for I did not come to bring peace. He didn't. Those are his words. But I came to bring the sword. Jesus is a divisive individual. While they're going out, a man who was demon-possessed could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and they said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Nothing. That would make a beautiful end to the sermon, wouldn't it? Nothing has ever been seen like this in Israel. Unfortunately, Matthew writes one more verse. But the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he casts out demons. You know what's interesting? The most powerful, over-the-top, complimentary statement used in Scripture towards Jesus and his ministry is this one here when he says, Nothing like this has been seen in Israel. And everybody applauds. Oh, it's so good. Jesus is so amazing. Go home, have a good day. But the Pharisees are on the other side. You know why he can manipulate demons, don't you? Because he has one. Then the most degrading and blasphemous thing that you could say about the Messiah happens right after the greatest statement. Matthew is writing this in here to say things are about to change. Listen, I know it was all like awesome and, and like bread. He just made bread show up in places. Dead people came alive. Bleeding people stopped. Lame people walked. Blind people could see again. 
but we're about to go into a brand new place and this is all going to change. The battle lines have been drawn. The world is now going to deal with Jesus on Jesus' terms. It's the same for us. You have to deal with Jesus. The issue of Jesus is still on the table for many of us. You have to deal with him. The decision to not make a decision is making a decision. There's a point in your life to where you say, I think I need to give up. Because if I don't get Jesus in my life, I got a feeling this is all going to go downhill. The world has to make a decision. What will it be? How will you live? What will be your code? What will be your statement? What will be the thing about your life? Is it going to be Jesus? Or is it going to be something else? But it's a decision that has to be made. You have to make that decision. At some point in your life, you have to make that decision. He did not come so that we could look across the table. We could appreciate having dinner with Jesus. We could appreciate all the things that come with Jesus. Peace and contentment and friendship. We love those little shot glasses of grape juice and chiclets. Those are awesome. And then not make a decision with who he is. The world will scream, he is a lunatic. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. Or he's just an old hat. But we either call him son of David, the Messiah. We don't call him at all. Those are the only options that he gave us. Lesson number six. If the blind man can see that he is the Christ and the voiceless are given a voice to preach, here's the thing that you can absolutely count on. When God shows up in your life, he's not coming to utilize your strengths. With me? He is not coming to utilize your strengths. I would like to help out in the church somewhere based on what I'm really good at. Not interested. You know what God wants? The thing you suck the most at. What is it? Addiction? He wants that thing. Let's hook up on that level. For real, I'm pretty much, that's in the past. I'd like to leave it there. Can we not talk about it? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Jesus don't, Jesus don't roll like that. Jesus wants to drag it out, put it on the table. Is it pain? Is it a childhood deal? Is it abuse? What's the thing? He wants it. He did not come for your strengths. You got that all wrapped up, right? Your strengths are your strengths. Like, do you need some help there? No. You know what he wants? What's your weakness? You know why this is? Do you know what kind of God it would have to be for him to have the confidence and the power to focus in on his people and their weaknesses so that he could move his kingdom forward? Do you, what kind of okayness does God have to have on the inside for him to pick the worst kids on the playground for his, for his kickball team? And he picks us. And it's based on our weakness. If you have not made a decision for Jesus and you need to, come talk to me. Let's sit and talk. Love to, uh, love to argue with you. Um, love to encourage you. Um, I would love to sit and visit with you or cry with you. Um, whatever. Whatever. So get with me. Let's do it. We will pray and we will get out of here. Thanks for sticking around a few extra minutes. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the uh, inspiration that you gave Matthew to, to, to write this book. Lord, so that we could dive into it and try to unfold it and understand exactly who you are 
and what you are and what you're doing and how much you love us. Lord, we thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. Pray that you bless them. Pray that you will love. You will give them the opportunity to impact the people in their world and their lives. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.